If the 2020 holiday season feels like it's been a long time coming, make it worth the wait with Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself, all shipped directly to your door. They offer everything needed to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. Their Deluxe Grillers Assortment Package features Omaha Steaks Butcher's Cut Filet Mignons, perfectly aged, hand-carved, and fork tender. Also included are tons of incredible meats, sides, and infamous Omaha Steaks desserts. Right now, you can get this mouthwatering package, plus four free burgers and a free digital meat thermometer, a gift that's on the list of any serious griller, at an exclusive price only available to my listeners. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code VOICES into the search bar. Get a jump on holiday gift shopping with Omaha Steaks, all backed by their 100% money-back guarantee. Visit omahasteaks.com and type VOICES in the search bar to shop gourmet grill packs today. This is a great opportunity to get ahead of holiday gift shopping and have a really great season. That's omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Standing up and speaking out, here's Hal Sparks. Welcome to the show, everybody. You know, it's uh, crisis after crisis, apparently. That's what we're doing. We're bouncing from crisis to crisis. It's what we do right now. Because, currently speaking... With uh, Donald Trump uh, in the Winter White House uh, splitting duties with the head of QAnon, who, uh, you know, if anybody watches the videos that are circulating on the Internet or if you watch uh, the documentaries like the one HBO is doing, you know that QAnon is uh, run by a guy named Jim Watkins and his son probably typed up some of the posts and that his his actual, uh, um, I guess, the goal of this um you know, this organization working with uh, Trump and Mike Flynn to create kind of a cult-like following for Donald Trump so that it would seem um, that they have some sort of magical control over the world because if you look at their material control over almost everything in their lives, it's a complete and utter failure. I, I suppose I, I have been searching long and hard trying to figure out a way that the um, – or a, a reasoning – behind the idea that um, Trump himself um, seems to have this magical following amongst a certain group of people in, in, in terms of the, you know, the, not just the QAnons, but the MAGA crowd as well, that there's, why this guy? Why does it have to be that they believe that he's magic? Not just, it, it seems nonsensical. If you look at any parts of his life, his, his marriages, his... Uh, absolute abdication of rearing his own children in any meaningful way, his, you know, shunning their childhoods as women's work, his, uh, you know, his history of sort of abusive and criminal business practices, his multiple bankruptcies, his casino being pancaked in Atlantic City. And you go, why, oh, why, oh, why in the world would anyone think that this guy is good at anything? How is it that you could assess, based on the material evidence, that this guy could run anything, much less the country? And uh, the only answer you can come up with is faith, is, an, is a cult-like belief in his abilities that goes beyond reality. That in, that in terms of what you, it, the mystery beyond the known has to play a part in his success for these folks if he is to represent their own grievances against the country, the world, their circumstances, or their life. 
So they have to look at him as this messianic character because there's no real reason why he would be able to solve any of their problems uh, unless there's, you know, he can, I guess, double your loaves and fishes and walk on water. You know, the, the, the illusion that at some point he's going to. And it, 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 it never seems to stop. Over the last week on my live stream, I have shown many, you know, examples of these, you know, cult-like gatherings, you know, where they're still convinced on, by every measure, they are still convinced that Trump is going to be president again, that it's not, now it's not the five dates that passed, it's over the next couple of months and they're really working on a big plan and it never seems to to fate and they will like and they will attach that belief system to literally anything that happens in the news. So we have been watching them, you know, uh, argue that the Suez Canal jam, the boat getting stuck in the Suez Canal is literally the act of Donald Trump, you know, uh, personally going down there in a tugboat and and jamming up this boat that is allegedly full of children that are being shipped to Europe to service the pedivores of Europe. It's, and, and now one would think that, um, it, well, I mean, there's a million reasons why it's insane, but one would think that um, if you were going to go down there to rescue said children, there would be an immediate follow-up after you jammed the ship and stopped it of the unloading of those children instead of, I suppose, leaving them to be baked alive in the desert, in a shipping container, uh, two, all 220,000 tons of children that apparently is just being left to spoil. I, I, the, the, the idea that, that he, you know, this is some sort of rescue attempt, and yet the rescue attempt was put in the middle of the desert so that they could just be left there. And then meanwhile, that, that's Trump solving the human trafficking problem in the world. That is him doing it. He's managed uh, to, you know, in between golf swings and trips to the buffet at Mar-a-Lago, has managed to coordinate this ridiculously poorly played out attack. Like I said, if if you're not extracting the children from said ship, if you really believe this, then you basically just why, why didn't you let them? Why didn't you rescue them when they got to their destination? where they could survive instead of just getting the boat stuck in the middle of, you know, a waterway surrounded by desert that no one can get to. So obviously madness, right? We, we know that this is ridiculous, but it has to carry with this, this faith, this, a, this aspect that they must believe in a miraculous version of Donald Trump because the personal, real version of the man is pitiful. It's just it can't possibly live up to any of the standards. It's just not it, it, it's there's no way in anyone's experience that you can go. Yeah, he's he's the guy. That's that's who's you know, that's who we need on our side. That's who we need when we're trusting the plan, when we're, uh, you know, you wouldn't let him watch your car much less um, enact some sort of magical attack on a shipping system that does nothing but human trafficking. Never mind the fact that those things are probably full of auto parts and, and Ikea furniture and printers. Um, 
never never mind that there is a um, that there at some point you have to have a a result for many of this, um, which leads me to the alleged border crisis, a um, a you know a numeric volume of of uh, unaccompanied minors and and children at the border and people at the border, um, many of whom can be and will be put back together with their families and deported as part of normal order. But this idea that somehow that Joe Biden rang the dinner bell and that all these migrants are coming across the border because, uh, quote, Biden's a nice guy and that it has nothing to do with the normal number of people who are coming up because of, you know, violent circumstances in their own country or to escape, you know, famine or drought or floods or, you know, the damage from a hurricane added to the stack of people who just simply were not processed during the pandemic. They just weren't. They were not that there's a backlog of humanity on the Mexican side of the border who is still going to make an attempt to cross because the Mexican border isn't going to provide them with any support. NGOs over there are basically helping them. um, And the the Mexican government has no impetus to keep them there. They, you know, they are effectively in a tent city staging area, refugee camp on the other side of the border. And they've been sitting there for a better part of a year. That number of humans mixed with the number, number of humans who are coming up equals the number that we have. Normal surge plus the backlog. It's not a, uh, it's a challenge, absolutely, but it's a challenge that's always there. It rises to these numbers about every couple of decades because of extraordinary environmental issues. It will go up because of climate change over the next decade. It's something we're going to have to learn to manage, not just here, but also helping those countries to manage their situation so the people don't have to make the trek in the first place. But it's it, I think the one thing that stood out to me in this week of Donald Trump magically stopped a boatload of children in the Suez Canal uh, using his space mind ray or whatever, lined up immediately with um, this crisis at the border. One would go, well, if this was if these skills were within his the, the realm of possibility with this man, with any possibility as far as his capability then why would he not use his powers on the border? If that's what he's concerned, if he's really into America first and he's worried about human trafficking and he's worried about children, the way they paint this story, why direct all that energy to the Suez Canal and leave, uh, a, in, in, you know, in the case of yesterday, a nine-year-old girl to drown in the Rio Grande trying to get across the water? A, a magical boat with, you know, full of auto parts and Ikea furniture somehow is indicative of this masterful skill that that Trump still is operating in, which is, I mean, obviously, I'm being facetious, of course, because the the man has no control over anything anymore. But this is a belief system. This is less about him at this point. This is a belief system that is part of an entire group of, uh, of, of not just QAnons, not just the deep-seated maggots, the people who were charging on the 6th, not just them, but the Lindsey Grahams of the world, Jim Jordan posting a picture of Trump's with Miss Me Yet on it, as if his, as if his stacking people at the border on the other side and threatening the Mexican government with tariffs to keep everyone over there was indicative of uh, a policy and, sim- and not just simply... Um, get off my lawn on a global scale. Um, 
773-763-9278 is our number. We're going to talk uh, about the voting law that was passed this week in Georgia, um, whether or not it will stand up to um, constitutional scrutiny is going to be the ironic part, considering how much the Constitution has played a part in, in uh, the Republican pushback and specifically the, the Trump camp pushback on why the, the uh, there shouldn't have been you shouldn't have been allowed to oppose emergency measures during an emergency to continue the vote in case of uh, in, in terms of covid protocols, which is the one that stood out to them, allowing no excuse absentee voting and the like, which is uh, the reason why Trump got six million more votes, but lost because Democrats were able to vote more. There was a, a, a flush of votes across the political spectrum because everyone had access that instead of saying, oh, why don't we really push to make sure our voters can uh, vote absentee? And this actually works. The more voters and then we can convince a few more people we might actually have a shot at being a functional party. No, no, no. We just need to simply shut down by volume the voting of everyone in our state because we're going to get swamped at some point. So um, we'll, we'll be back right after this. It's the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide on WCPT Radio, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Hey, welcome back to the show. Sorry about that. Uh, we're dealing with a little bit of audio routing issues as we're out on the road. And I was just discussing that a lot of my, uh, you know, audience that I, you know, in, in, informal polling as it goes out to everybody in, has a has everybody seems generally excited about the idea of either having gotten the vaccine in a lot of people's cases or very excited to get it. And and also in the Chris Lavoie kind of world, I'm seeing a lot of folks that are, um, I guess, in, in many ways, they're getting the vaccine because other people are not. That there is a a real push um, on a, you know, by, you know, by right wingers, not just to not get the vaccine, not just to not just not to avoid the vaccine itself, but to literally stop the vaccine from um, being administered. Now, in California and other states, there have been reports of people intentionally making appointments and not showing up so as to spoil the batches that are there. There was a man who um, stopped a a convoy of uh, National Guard trucks that were carrying vaccine um, at gunpoint. Pull, basically heard that they were transporting vaccine at, at a gas station, got in his car, followed them, took out a gun, stopped the the trucks. And when when he was arrested, it was I guess his story was he believed that a woman and a child had been kidnapped and were in the trucks that I and I don't know if he believes that that's how the vaccine is made, that there are just there's a woman and a child just hooked up to some sort of weird contraption. And and, you know, the I I guess we're getting the vaccine out of them like the Skeksis, you know, in, in the dark crystal, you know, just draining their life force from them or in some sort of weird adrenochrome fantasy that this guy has. But it's not it's not uncommon to this crowd. It is incredibly difficult to 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 overstate the danger and damage 
of this of the anti-vaxxer crowd. Many of the QAnon folks, many of the hardcore, um, you know, they're coming to destroy our country. The socialists and the communists are, you know, are going to uh, wreck our country, all that stuff. Those folks are now transmuting into effectively an anti-vax fighting force. That it isn't simply enough to not get yourself um, vaccinated. It is crucial um, that, and I'm looking up this this National Guard uh, um, article about this, uh, this guy, but he... He's indicative of a greater movement. The guy who pulled over the the National Guard, um, uh, and and there is an increasing there's a uh, there's a group called the Disinfo Dozen that um, that has started that is being targeted by people who are trying to make sure that you know the anti-vaxxer movement doesn't result in a lot of people not getting inoculated during this. And and the irony that you have. Donald Trump, on the one hand, claiming that, you know, the vaccine is completely him. He created it as if he was in the lab the entire time and that it was without him being in office, it would have taken five to 10 years, if ever. He said this many times, if ever to come up with this uh, vaccine. Right. And in this process, um, you know, he he singularly is responsible for this vaccine happening and how good it is. Meanwhile, if you poll people almost to the person, it is Trump supporters beyond even just Republicans. The most hardcore Trump supporters are the biggest uh, group refusing to get the vaccine or believing it is some sort of plot or cult thing or, you know, satanic cabal story that they're pushing. And it's it's horrifying that we are right now seeing a spike in cases, many of which are related to spring break a week and a half ago and the beginning of it and the cases that carry forward as people went for a short time and came home like like Matt Getz's quote unquote son, Nestor, who he allowed to have a short spring break amongst the crowd and then come home, um, which would, would seemingly, you know, considering two weeks of quarantine are kind of minimal for exposure uh, seems the exact opposite of the kind of plan that you would want to put forward, one would think. But in the process, um, we are seeing a rise in case rates again. Now, death rates continue to go down as treatments and the ability to vaccinate people and techniques to keep people alive um, continue to expand. But we're looking down the barrel of fifty to 60,000 Americans dead by July from this. Um, simply because there is, uh, quote unquote, pandemic fatigue amongst this large swath of the populace where the, um, you know, the Republicans never were on board anyways. And then people who have been for the better part of a year getting it together. And as people increasingly go out who have been vaccinated and and go, well, I've been vaccinated, so I'm not going to wear my mask. And many people who uh, who have been vaccinated or continuing to mask up as a, you know, um, as uh, Rand Paul would call it, as theater, but as a, you know, on on two fronts. One is, of course, because they want to set an example for other people so that because you can't know that I really had the vaccine or know if I'm if I'm being honest about it. And so until we get enough people vaccinated, 
it's best that everybody wear their masks. So if half people are walking around, people are like, I guess we're not wearing masks anymore. And they'll start taking their masks off whether they've been vaccinated because they're not going to have a conversation with you. So better to wear your mask. Plus, you could be in that six to four percent that uh, even though you are you are effectively protected from the disease, could be an asymptomatic carrier. What might have killed you has now made you simply a, a, a rail car for the spread of a pathogen. And the idea of having someone else's death on you because there's a four to six percent chance that you could carry this disease while it might not hurt you. But you, you know, bumbling around, spread it to, uh, you know, six or ten other people, two of whom it could kill, is not something most people relish as a thought. So, again, people wearing masks uh, for the for the time being. But there is a, you know, a, a response. There is a um, an emotional response to this that we have to take into account when we're discussing this. Because that's how most people are reacting to it. And also, the same thing is true of the border crisis. That one of the reasons why the border crisis is eating up as much of our news feed as it is, is because we are seeing um, women and children coming across the border who are fleeing violence and drought and, and hurricanes and the like. We have to take a break. We'll be back right after this. It's the House Marks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide on WCPT Radio, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Now let's get back to Hal Sparks' radio program, Mega Worldwide. Um, Welcome back to the show. And uh, Johnny Million is with us. And we've got audio. It actually works. I can actually, Chicago can hear you. I, oh gosh, it's such, I'm just going to, you can talk for a segment. I'm just going to kick back for a second after all the tech stuff that I've been doing. You you carried the torch for a while. And and the thing I always wanted to talk about was the, um, uh, now I'm now I'm like watching myself talk, which is always weird to me. Yeah, the um, Trump coming out and saying that the um, that the people storming the Capitol on January sixth, yes, were uh, no threat, none, and were hugging the police, hugging and kissing, hugging and kissing the police, and it's a case of. They can't stick to a story. I'm a well-known liar. I'm, an, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and pretty much what I do is lie. Uh-huh. And, and one thing that I've learned is that it's really hard to stick to a story. Sure. And yeah. is the story that it was Antifa dressing up as Trump, yeah. <laughs> Trump lovers and going there and raising hell, or were they actually adorable Trump lovers just going there and hugging and kissing? You can't have it both ways. No, you can't. And and the hard part, too, is that, uh, you know, even some of the, the Trump supporters have been, you know, very upset that Antifa is getting credit for, you know, what they're doing. And now I'm sure he's triggering some sort of homophobic panic in a, in a lot of them that they were allegedly hugging and kissing. Oh, we can only hope. Uniform police officers, you know what I mean? Like it was a meet and greet line at the village people or something. I'm sure that they're just freaking out that I wasn't there to hug and kiss them. They were they're jackbooted thugs and they are, you know, they it, they I guess uh rep- killed a man. Yes, right. They re- well the the people who stormed it, but I mean the people who they viewed the police as some sort of weird UN strike force. You know, which is, I mean, not surprising that they would believe this. Right. You know, not, you know, again, this attributes to the magical part of it. What's what's easier to get 
through your head or emotionally deal with. The fact that you and a bunch of your dumb friends stormed the Capitol and attacked police officers on a day when we are literally working through, you know, the normal functions of government or which means you have to reflect on your own behavior and judge yourself accordingly or that those aren't really cops. They're U.N. shock troops that have been put there by the deep state to, you know, and and that what was going on inside the Capitol was not the normal order of business, but in fact, the giant theft of America by forces, you know, um, you know, foreign and domestic that you and your buddies need to stop. You're just being extra American-y when you're storming up there. That's, you know, which is easier for you to, um, you know, emotionally uh, project as far as your image of yourself. That's that's the difficult part. And that's that's where a lot of them are. And again, they have to believe in the magic of Donald Trump and the and the mystery of the deep state, because it, quite frankly, takes away any responsibility for knowing any real details. And of course, I can't know. It's part of the, you know, it's 5D chess that Trump is playing and the deep state is even deeper than we knew. Um, It couldn't be that you are just a gullible moron and that you were you allowed yourself because of your own, uh, you know, sexism and racism and and Mm -hmm. bias about, you know, what the you know, your beliefs about the left or the right. You know, as far as the purity of the right and the villainy of the left that you've been bought, you know, uh, you bought into for, you know, decades because at first you were being sold that by maybe right leaning family members and the like. And it just got worse as we got a black president and as the, you know, obviously George W. Bush and Dick Cheney aren't, you know, as the administration responsible for getting us into the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Clearly, the deep state, a a darker mechanism. It could not be human failings that got us into this situation. It has to be that the Illuminati is running stuff. Because then you would have to go, oh, okay, so under Clinton, we didn't go into Rwanda, and we should have, and he regrets it. But under Bush, we went into Afghanistan and Iraq and everybody regrets it. And then and then they wrecked the economy. And it couldn't be that, you know, uh, Obama's uh, rescue package that he initially presented would have helped heal the country faster and improve the economy faster and actually make the recovery faster um, overall. It couldn't be that. It had to be that they were, you know, they were trying to destroy America and they were just using this crisis to do it. And yet another one, yet another one, yet another. One. And then it couldn't be that Donald Trump is a failed businessman who exemplifies the Peter principle on almost every standard where he literally fails upward because mm-hmm. of the because of the outsized strength of the New York financial and real estate markets over the United States. The fact that that gives him some sort of magical leg up. In, you know, in, in terms of his ability to run for president in the first place, much less win over, you know, a, an Arkansas governor who ran, became president for eight years. His wife, who spearheaded S chip, you know, and, and got the largest child insurance program in American history passed basically as her, you know, and they've hated her for it ever since that sure. ran and became a senator 
you know, was secretary of state and then ran for president and was qualified. It could not be that. It has to be that Donald Trump is magic and there's a giant demonic organization behind the scenes that is running everything. And yeah, on and on. And One thing that helped my mood about it was that when I saw the headline, like I think I was just looking at like a news aggregator like Google News and the headline from CNN just said Trump lies about insurrection on January 6th. Right. Rather than than playing that weird middle card. Yeah. Um, You you know, you know, uh, manipulated statements, you know, make Trump uh, tend to uh, express uh, distrust with narrative around January 6th. Right. Yeah. That kind of manipulated um, speak. But that is. The more that that happens, by the way, you would view that as something helpful. Like, finally, we're addressing this for what it is. It is an absolute lie. This is, you know, this is clearly him lying. He knows better. It's beyond even just him being wrong or making assumptions or thinking, well, my supporters can't be all bad. They're lovely people. So um, maybe they didn't mean this. And I have a feeling, no, no, just flat out. He saw the video. He was gleefully watching the attacks. He was watching them break windows. He knows that police were assaulted. There is literally an FBI warrant out for a, a, a maskless MAGA assaulter who gouged out the eye of a police officer. Um, you know, the the ribs cracked, spinal columns damaged, beyond Officer Sicknick dying, the suicides, the uh, you know, the the one cop who had uh, the um, thank you, but F you for being there cop that was that had a heart attack after being tased with his own taser by people carrying blue blue lives matter flags. Um, Trump saw all that. He didn't miss it. He wasn't confused on the day. He was gleefully watching it. He was very impressed mm-hmm. at the impact that he had. He was having, like every other cult leader has, I suppose, a an endorphin rush. Sure. At watching, what a blast that must have been. Yeah, like watching everybody just, you know, doing that for him. And even, I mean, there has to be a touch of just, amazed because at the same time you're watching it happen, you know, you aren't worth it. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Imagine, I mean, Does Trump have imposter syndrome? Oh, clearly. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's always been my argument about his, his alleged narcissism is that it is absolutely rooted in an awareness that he has no qualifications for any of the situations he's in. And the only area where he has legitimate confidence that's based on experience is where he has been rich and the women he can get from being rich, right? That that informs a lot of his behavior. Not because he deserves it. As a matter of fact, like I've said before, there's an element of, of Trump's psyche that winning in court because you're right in terms of the case is, 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 something, is not special. Anybody can do that. Anybody can prevail in court when you deserve to prevail in court. But right. if you can cheat your way through... That means you're really smart. If you were able to game the system and get away with it, and time and time again, because of the protections of the, the New York uh, real estate market that, we, that I've, I've talked breathlessly about over the years, he has come under the illusion that somehow he has some sort of skill or value because of that. And not that they value the New York real estate market and the New York financial world more than they care about going after a lump like Donald Trump. 
um, um, and this this crowd um, that that is still all on board. I mean, the for all the you know idea that Q and all these other crowds have been broomed from the internet. Um, in in all honesty, we are seeing you know a. You, one need only go on and, and look up the word prophecy and Trump on on YouTube, and you will have your feed filled uh, with lunatics who say that, you know, he's going to walk across the pond, you know, the water traps at Mar-a-Lago to prove his messianic ability. And, you know, and that there's two Air Force Ones and two Air Force Twos flying in the air all the time. And it's not because... You know, six weeks ago in the transition, some somebody in a air traffic control tower was late transferring the code after, you know, because the once the vice president steps off of Air Force Two, it no longer becomes Air Force Two. It's only Air Force Two when you're on it. It's not the plane. It's the it's the plane that carries the person. Right. Mm -hmm. And if somebody doesn't immediately tap out, okay, she's off. You know, and the plane takes off again in the air. Oh, my God. Why is there a Air Force Two is flying when the, when she's there? There must be two vice presidents. Right. That's the storyline. Not, again, the Occam's razor of normal bureaucracy and somebody forgetting to flip a switch for about 15 minutes. But it must be that there is a giant conspiracy going on. And this isn't this isn't an accident, by the way. You know, for all the. Russian interference stuff that we've heard about over the last little bit. And we got to take a break, um, but we'll be back right after this. With all the stories about, you know, Russian interference in our in our elections, in our democracy, the seeds of that undermining are are planted in the conspiratorial world and in the anti-vaccine world. That, you know, by look at the number of groups online that eventually that started out relatively innocuously and then immediately got a flood of support of, oh, yeah, I'm just like you from these knockoff accounts from Macedonia paid for by the Internet Research Agency that the Russians put up and that the Saudis put up and that the Chinese put up to, you know, to create this kind of dissemination and this division, because that's how you make a democracy fall apart. And you can't just come out and go that the Republicans are the problem, the Democrats are the problem. You have to see these crazy, deep-seated conspiratorial ideas in every little corner so that people meet at the grocery store and go, oh yeah, me too. Um, we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Hal Sparks' radio program, Mega Worldwide. So this, there's this fella named Larry Harris uh, and, in Arizona, and uh, he was, he was uh, at a gas station, um, and uh, he, apparently he, started, he overheard some National Guardsmen at a gas station uh, and um, heard that they were transporting COVID vaccine, and he uh, basically, after multiple attempts to run them off the road, blocked the road and pulled a gun on 11 National Guard members. Uh, a group of National Guardsmen are safe after a dangerous encounter with an armed man on a highway in West Texas, according to KCBD staff and uh, WAF8, uh, WAFB9. Larry Harris of Arizona was arrested Monday after allegedly following a caravan of National Guardsmen en route to Matador, Texas, to deliver shipment of COVID-19 vaccines. Harris is accused of cutting their vehicles off and pulling a loaded gun on the unarmed officers. 
Um, three vehicles carrying 11 National Guardsmen were traveling along Highway 6882 uh, outside Lubbock, Texas, when Harris is said to have attempted to force um, the vans from the road. Um, according to the police, Harris veered into oncoming traffic and forced the vans to stop. He then allegedly pointed his gun, a loaded Colt 1911 pistol with 45 caliber bullets, at the unarmed guardsmen and told them he was a detective. Uh, narrator, he's not a detective. Um, uh, and uh, Harris later told officers he had followed the guardsmen who were in full uniform from a a Love's Travel Station in Lubbock because he believed they had kidnapped a woman and child. Mm -hmm. Idaloo officers arrived at the scene to find Harris among the guardsmen with his gun. He had been taken into custody without further incident. Harris now faces charges for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, unlawful restraint, unlawful carrying of a uh, weapon, uh, impersonating a public servant, um, because he was not a detective and interference with Texas military forces. Um, I loop police chief Eric Williams questioned whether mental illness contributed to the dangerous incident. Um, uh, not in the traditional sense, um, but they said Mr. Harris appears to be mentally disturbed. Um, this was a very dangerous uh, situation since the suspect was standing in the midst of, it, an, of the unarmed guardsman with a loaded weapon. This is just Texas's recent example of dangerous mistaken identity involving firearms, seemingly conspiracy-minded paranoia. Last October, the former Houston police captain pulled a gun on a repairman he believed was driving around a truck full of uncounted votes that had been cast for then-President Donald Trump. The repairman's vehicle contained nothing but air conditioning parts, and the former captain, Mark Anthony Aguirre, 63, was arrested after the attack and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Um... I know the uh, the story around the border is going to eat up a lot of the you know the the press bandwidth, but the the reality is again this is an ongoing long term problem that will require long term solutions. It will require real legislation. A a um, you know a and by the way the National Guard soldiers who were transporting these things were um, unarmed. So um, just just to be, you know, just to be clear, he wasn't carrying a um, he was he was pulling a weapon on unarmed guard servicemen and women. There were men and women in those trucks that were simply there just doing shipping. They weren't these weren't soldiers, per se, no, mm. nor would there in any sane world would there, you know, and, in deference to what the the officer said about this gentleman, um, there would be no reason for people shipping vaccines to have to be armed in the United States of America. I, I mean, it, it, fo- I think the, it's important to focus on that for one second. Imagine for a second that in the United States of America, to transport vaccines, you would have to carry a gun to protect yeah. yourself from the former president's supporters. That that in and of itself, I mean, it, you know, if you're talking about mental illness, Reality, playing, baby. yeah. Mm. So over the, um, you know, we we have watched on and on as the, you know, the Republican Party has kind of dovetailed behind Donald Trump. And um, over the course of, you know, his his ire with with Fox News and with simply normal, thoughtful Republican voices who are, while I disagree with them vehemently on policy, are not, you know, for all practical purposes, lunatics. Um, 
his his ire and and you know and, and sort of verbal violence towards those folks um, has 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 never ebbed. It is always it's an ongoing attack, and in many ways has resulted in 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 an all but fully effective purge of any normal conservative behavior in the Republican Party. Because for and this is one of the things that struck me over the last week. And that we're talking about the reform of the filibuster in terms of getting H.R. 1 passed, for example, and and gun legislation. Um, and as people have talked about this, Joe Manchin is getting a lot of attention and, and rightly yeah. so about, you know, his his hold up on a few things or whatever. But it, he's in a situation where from a Democratic standpoint, he believes in 80, 60 to 80 percent of any of the given bills he's talking about. He's just got. Issues in either in his state with 20 percent of them, let's say. And in the normal order of of business in the in in governing a fellow Democrat having 20 percent issues with a particular bill would result in compromise on the actual bill and it going forward. And you'd get the majority of what's in there, you know, because they they've got to get reelected in their state and that there would be kind of fold over in bipartisanship in theory as these bills that we're talking about. H.R. 1, um, you know, comprehensive background checks and, and, the, and the like are incredibly popular amongst the American people, including Republicans. But the conversation, because of, uh, you know, the singular aspect of Joe Manchin as an individual, is way easier for the media to have. And the infighting that supposedly that creates within the Democratic Party about this than the fact that lock, stock and barrel, no pun intended, the entirety of the Republican Party, whether they believe in the bill or not, is in direct opposition. For all the wailing and gnashing of teeth of Collins and Murkowski and and uh, Mitt Romney or even uh, you know Kidzinger, all these people who are supposed to be these kind of moderating voices. Even with their input, none of them are voting for any of these bills. In the case of Joe Manchin, and like I said, whatever issues I may have with him, you're talking about someone who is at least on principle going, these are the changes I would like to see. This is because of my constituents, and this is the kind of vote I could give. And it's a normal process in terms of whether you agree or disagree with the elements of the bill that he wants struck. It's a normal process of democracy because the, the West Virginia voters and, the you know, uh, at least in his polling and what will get him reelected and make sure he stays in there and make sure that a Republican doesn't take that seat because it's very uh, it's on the edge. There is much harder to navigate than, say, an upstate New York or a Napa Valley district or being the senator of a, of a rock solid blue state like California, you know, Washington state or or New York. So there is. There, there's a political fine line to walk getting, you know, and, and in those situations, if you make those concessions or you find some balancing act where like, we'll give you a little of this, you give us a little of that. And then you finally come up with a bill, just like you would do in any committee setting, you'll end up getting Joe Manchin's vote. The difference is, and why this, you know, why this isn't more of the conversation I find shocking, but there, there is no point where any of these Republicans, even if they wholesale got 50-50 of these bills, if they were able to amend half the bill out of existence, 
they're still not going to vote for it. And to me, that's more of a news story than someone going, if I do this whole bill as it's written, I'm not getting reelected and I'm not going to lose my seat voting for something that I know will will get me replaced by somebody who's never going to vote for any of it. That kind of argument. That's a that's a reasonable fear and argument to have. Again, whatever you believe about those pieces, he's not the only person who has those kind of conversations. He's just the only one we're fixating on. But by fixating on it, especially in the news, what we are, for some reason, shrugging off is the idea that we are suddenly to accept and expect the idea that all Republicans, no matter how much input they have on a bill, no matter how much you know posture about believing in things like background checks or the, they want election integrity and those kind of things, are never, not ever no matter what their their supposed place on the political spectrum within the Republican Party, some sort of moderating voice or some sort of you know centrist Republican, all of them are going to vote just like Josh Hawley. All of them are voting just like Ted Cruz. All of them are voting with Jim Jordan. And that is a much bigger story, um, which is, you know, I, I'm... We got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the infrastructure bill that, that, that Biden has presented and how much it benefits all these states and why it's this is a fight. Everybody thinks it's you know, it's a, it's a losing battle. And this is not one of those areas where you can get bipartisanship and people sign on. The Republicans are begging Democrats to do an infrastructure spending bill using reconciliation so they can vote against it, lock, stock, and barrel, and then pat themselves on the back next to people sticking shovels in the ground in their own states. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. It's now time for the happy ending. Yay! On the door. That's right. I understand. Welcome back. Um, so, you know, we and it is kind of that the happy ending in that we're gonna we're gonna be looking down the barrel of a discussion about the you know this infrastructure bill that's gonna come up. That is the next thing that the Biden administration is gonna put forward. Immigration will follow thereafter, but you're gonna watch as this issue is there's gonna be a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth about immigration as we deal with um, the. The people who normally come this time of year mixed with the people who've been waiting and the fact that we are dealing with uh, a lot of these uh, unaccompanied minors. Even saw a guy on who's a direct activist who works in these facilities talking about how today today that a lot of the unaccompanied minors that we're experiencing aren't really unaccompanied. Their families are there as well. They just sent their kid across because they know the kid can get in and they'll try and get in later, but they're worried about feeding their child. They're not worried about themselves. So they send their child, you know, over the river and, and through the desert to, you know, to try and, you know, protect them during this time. When, and, and what DHS does um, and what, the, you know, the uh, Customs and Border Patrol does, CBP does, is that they talk to the kid, they interview them, they take down their name, they fingerprint them. Um, in some cases, they blood type them. They test them for COVID. And then they um, they go, where are your parents? And they go, well, my mom's already in the country or my dad and my mom are over. And they'll go, they'll send 
caseworkers across the border into Mexico and go, is this your child? And they go, yes. And they go, all right, well, come pick them up. And they put the, they give the child back to their parents on the other side of the border. This is, they reunite them, but they're like, you can't just send your kid. That's dangerous. Can't just send your kid by yourself. And then, you know, and, and abdicate responsibility for your for your child. We'll help you out. We're going to hook you up with some NGOs. We're going to help you know if you have an asylum claim, we'll process it. But you can't just dump your kid and and run away. That's and and that's the vast majority of these kids. That's why the number that you keep hearing there's sixteen thousand, but there's only fifty six hundred in that they're holding on to. Well, what happens to the other half? They are processed and sent back to the country they came from or reunited with their parents, and they're not really unaccompanied minors. The, the, the Trump administration created unaccompanied minors out of whole cloth. It, you know, it, I think it was Laura Ingram who was saying, you know, these, these kids came across with, with their, you know, their, these unaccompanied minors coming across with their parents, is what she said. Well, they weren't unaccompanied. They, they were accompanied. And, and Trump separated them from their parents, making them unaccompanied in that regard. So as much as we hear about that, that will not be the next bill that comes to the, you know, that, that's coming out. The economy had, had already started to slow in February due to the lack of stimulus. The new stimulus that's coming out and them talking about, you know, the, the tour that they're doing around discussing with, uh, you know, with trade groups and, and voters and the like to get people on board with the stimulus as it's sent out and as it's spent and as people get UI and businesses get new PPP loans and the like. They're, as they put that forward, the next thing that you're really going to see uh, of merit beyond, you know, people putting, you know, gun bills to the floor is going to be a major infrastructure package. And Biden gave a clue this week um, as to what the strategy was going to be because they directly talked about that. He goes, I, he goes I've noticed the most successful presidents, um, it has a lot to do with the timing of their legislative uh, agenda more so than the actual stuff they're putting forward. Because you can put forward the most popular thing in the world, but if the public's conscience is on another thing, there's no reason to expect it will pass because there's no pressure. There's also a problem with if you if whatever the public is focusing on wholly, that you dive right in and try to push something through that doesn't solve it but is themed with it, you might end up creating a situation where there's bad legislation that gets through and your real, the real solution doesn't happen. And so these quickie versions, which is what the Republicans often try to do, you put the, you know, you d there's a comprehensive immigration bill that's, uh, that exists and it's bipartisan. It would make it across the line uh, with 60 votes if, it was, you know, if Republicans were voting normally. But there's a big movement on the Republican side to strip out everything but DACA protection or something like that. So they can pat themselves on the back for doing two things, but avoiding the bigger problem. And if you do that and that gets uh, passed, what you end up with is effectively what people will view as a Democratic failure to get bigger legislation done in, in the name of expediency. And Republicans getting to pretend as if they did something when they really just abdicated the problem entirely. So it's a, it's going to be over the next 
couple of months, the next big push is going to be this infrastructure bill because it is the second stage of the uh, of building towards a um, a stronger economy. Um, it will be over time the thing that helps write the the bond yield market and all that kind of stuff because infrastructure bonds and the way you pay for it and the way it will be set up in the budget will increase the value of those things and will raise the interest rate on those things over time, which will have a steadying effect on the economy overall that you have to do after you've dumped all this money in to try and jumpstart the thing so that you don't flood the engine. You want something a little more steady. So you're going to see this kind of follow-up where there's these material on the ground things. And don't, don't be surprised when a couple of bipartisan bills pass with very little fanfare. They have a lot of budgetary overlays that do this exact thing. But the big package, the big infrastructure push, considering that at one point Trump was pushing a $2 trillion um, uh, infrastructure bill after going for 1.3 uh, at one point, and that being the floated idea, that Biden's coming out with a full $3 trillion price tag or floating that idea, is that if you roll back and you end up getting 2.2 done, that's, that's more than what uh, what. Trump was presenting. It's something that Republicans supposedly were going to sign on to. It's it absolutely falls under budget reconciliation. Unlike the fifteen dollar minimum wage, which is an entirely different discussion, and is a is a social bill. Effectively, it's it's material. The at no point does the government pay the other half <clears throat> of people's wage. That's the only way it would fall under budgetary reconciliation is that it, it's, it's government spending that makes up the gap in people's salaries. That's why the $15 minimum wage isn't considered under reconciliation. Um, whereas even the tax bill, which the Republicans pushed through with reconciliation, yes, they got that through, but that deals directly with the budget because the budget is not just money you put out, it's money you take in. So it qualified under reconciliation. Um, in the same way that the rescue package was uh, under reconciliation because that was government spending. That was government putting money into stuff. The $15 minimum wage isn't going to be that. It's a much bigger fight and may end up being state to state. A lot of states already have it. Um, a lot of big cities within smaller, you know, other states have it. That There's an ongoing fight and an ongoing push and making it, all, all the bills presented are strategically over about four to 10 years depending on where they are, four to eight years, um, lifting it year by year uh, a little bit, kind of growing it. That's where Arizona is right now. That's why Kristen Sinema, you know, isn't worried about her constituents worrying about a $15 minimum wage because they're already on track to do it. Um, but it doesn't fit in reconciliation. The infrastructure bill does. And while the Republicans had control of the Senate, there was no point where they were going to allow that to happen, even if Trump wanted it. You know, he wanting it was more valuable politically than getting it. Anytime you're in a situation where wanting something uh, or or getting your voters to believe that you can't have it or you're trying to get it, um, much like abortion, uh, you know, anti-abortion restrictions, those kind of things, leading your voters along with that stuff is more valuable than actually solving it. You're in, you know, that's 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 troubled waters politically. It, it means you are literally in the business of scuttling um, 
positive movement on stuff, even though you you sell the idea that that's the way it should happen. Democrats are not in that situation, not with the infrastructure bill. And like I said, will it be the full three trillion as presented? Probably not, because some of those to get it through reconciliation, some stuff might be pared out. If we're not as the federal, you know, if the federal government's tax dollars are not paying for the, uh, you know, universal pre-K, for example, if that's not a if that's not a government program, um, and it's you know it might, whether it's done, you know, versions of it may be able to be done with a tax break, others with grants to certain areas that are impoverished. If you do it like that, that's budgetary, and you will get that. But if not, it may get paired out into another bill entirely. It may be, you know, you slap it in the defense bill and know that it has to get passed. Those kind of things. But we're looking at a, a massive infrastructure package that for all practical purposes could be $2 trillion and absolutely passed with budget reconciliation. Sometimes, you know, before midsummer, which would, for the sake of the country, for the sake of our economy, for the sake of the health and well-being of rural Americans and the flyover states, would be an extraordinary boon. So I, I look forward to the, the fight and the push around that. And you're, it's one of the reasons why you're going to see Republicans at the border clamoring about immigration. Because if you start talking about the infrastructure bill, their own voters are going to be upset with them for not supporting it. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Johnny Million. Uh, and uh, thank you, Kitty Cat. And we will see you guys next time. <laughs>